It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Masterplan World. Welcome to our latest podcast. It is, as always, a pleasure to have you listening to us. I want to introduce you to today's special guest. John Leach joins us today from Beads Direct, which is Europe's number one online bead and jewellery making retailer. Established in 2004, Beads Direct is an online only business stocking over 6,000 lines and providing over 1,000 free tutorials to its loyal customer base. Hi, John. I've just given our listeners a very quick overview, a very, very quick overview of you and your business and where you are right now. Before we get into what what you're up to at Beads Direct, how did you personally get started in e-commerce? Fairly circuitous route, really, Chloe. Um, Historically, uh, I'd been involved in what I'd regard as conventional businesses. And one of the main businesses I'd had and owned was a a wholesale um, food and wine distribution business supplying the catering trade. Um, We'd built that business from from zero and that sold out um, in the early 90s to a public company. And during that period, um, the financial director of that business had, um, once we'd sold out, they'd left and started their own business. Um, we'd kept in touch over the years, and in 2009, um, Joe Haig, who was the financial director, contacted me to say that she'd got a business that she thought I should be interested in, um, in e-commerce. Um, And whilst initially I was very reluctant um, because I knew absolutely nothing about e-commerce and e-retailing, I did go have a look at the business and to cut a long story short, um, we bought the business. We liked it so much. And so we bought an existing business um, that had been started in 2004, but was, um, I suppose, stuck in some respects um, with... um, redundant almost um, systems in place and was going if you like in no man's land it it wasn't going anywhere but we saw that it had potential and that's why we bought the business Um, and and that business was Beads Direct I'm guessing and that business was Beads Direct yeah because the from to my mind the only thing in common between food and wine distribution and Beads Direct would be the vast number of SKUs Apart from that, everything else um, is different, isn't it? Completely different. Um, but what I, I did do, and I think it is important for any small businesses, although in the previous business we'd been very much customer-facing and we'd been you know, involved with them on, on a almost daily basis, whether it was through supplying them or, or, or um, offering them uh, new products, um, with... This business, um, with the Beads Direct business, what I did do and what I realized fairly quickly was that customer service, although we weren't actually customer facing, was something that needed serious attention and something that we have um, invested heavily in in terms of customer service. Um, ensuring that they got the best possible experience. And and I think that for any business um, that if they ignore customer service, then they do so at their peril. 
<laughs> that is, there's a quote that I can see ending up uh, in the show notes. Uh, ignore customer service at your peril. I think you're so right on that front, though. And and I know we're going to talk a bit about your content and social media later, but I, it should be pointed out to everyone that I know that when John's talking customer service, he's meaning not just answering the phones in a pleasant way and getting back to emails quickly, the whole piece of right from when someone gets to your website to the package they get. So, John, I think it's probably worth us um, talking a little bit about where Beads Direct is right now. So where are you in the world? Where are you selling to? What's the product like? Tell us a bit about where Beads Direct is in 2015. Well, at the moment, the split of our business um, is at about nine, well, just over 90% of our business, uh, our customers are based in the UK. But um, we have got a growing overseas business, mainly in Europe. Um, and strangely enough, um, in Eastern Europe and uh, and the Nordic countries, uh, we have what I regard as fairly loyal customers um, in Finland, in Denmark, Sweden, Norway, um, as well as some of the other Eastern European countries. Um, and then also probably more of an expat um, community, but in Spain we do particularly well. And also we are seeing sales growing in Germany and in France at the moment. Um, we do ship um, about 1% of our, our business goes to the, to the US, to the States, uh, which is in some respects quite surprising because they do have a, a very well advanced and very mature supply business um, in the, in the jewellery making um, industry and market sector. Um, but we're seeing you know, good regular sales there also. So as I say, it is predominantly into the UK that we're supplying to our customers, but also we are seeing um, growing sales um, in Europe particularly. Oh, cool. And and for lots of different reasons as well. I like the fact you've realised that Spain is expats and then the Nordics and Eastern Europe are slightly different. And then the France and Germany pickup is another slightly different piece. You're not just going, Europe is Europe. <laughs> You're seeing that Europe is both different Absolutely. countries and different buying reasons too. Absolutely. And, and also slightly different um, disciplines. Um, I mean, much of, the, of sort of the jewellery making community, although it, it probably is all embraced into, into one, if you like, definition, um, there are different disciplines and different techniques. Um, and certain countries specialise, for instance, um, in, in some of the um, Nordic countries, then things like seed beads and intricate bead weaving um, is um, very much the centre of their um, discipline, whereas maybe in Southern Europe um, it's a bit more fashion, there's a bit more leather, a bit more bracelets, and quite not probably quite as intricate work. So they are very, very different, and I think you need to understand. It is no different to any business. You do need to understand your customer in terms of what you're going to present to them and how you're going to present it to them as well. Yes, because I'm I'm listening to that, and you know, with my advisor hat on, which I'm trying, which I always try not to put on too much in these podcasts, because here my roles interview and not advisor. With my advisor hat on, I'm already thinking, oh, well, if you know that, and you wanted to grow that area, you could do this, this, and this, and it's it's knowing those simple things about the different needs of those customers that enable you to go right. If we want to target them, this is how we do it. It's not just about translating our normal email into their language. It's about changing the content and changing the products we're pushing and all the rest. It. But um, 
So the product is beads and um, threads and basically everything for jewellery making. Would that be right? Exactly. I mean, it, it is really a, across the whole range, everything from, from small, as I say, seed beads to semi-precious gemstones, to jewellery findings, to leather, to cords. So it is across the board. Uh, and whilst, um, if you like, um, they, they all have an appeal to all our customers, there are certain products that have more appeal um, to certain sectors. And you need to understand that and, and perhaps market slightly differently um, when you're either promoting or, or, or targeting those, those sectors. Cool. And what platform are you selling it on? Are you on Shopify, Magento, something bespoke? What's the website? It's we, we, we bespoke um, our, our back office. Well, in fact, our, our, our website, um, we, we built it. When, when we bought the business, it, it was very very basic and what we needed to do was make sure that we'd got a, a fully integrated system so that, that we had a crm system that built in so that we could see what customers were were uh, were buying so that we could then i mean one of the main things that drives our business is email um, and so we segment our email sendings in, in, into First of all, historical, what people have historically bought from us, and also what we want to promote. So there's a mix of understanding what they want so that we can, you know, make sure that they're, we're offering them the sort of things that they've either historically bought, but also introducing them to new stuff as well. So segmentation at that level is important for us. Yeah, certainly I can see it with the with the business, with your complexity of customer needs, customer interests, the, the stock range to have a bespoke platform that integrates everything makes sense. Um, so what what sort of size is the business? Well, um, currently, um, turnover this year will be just short of two million pound. Um, we've got a customer base of um of active customers and when I talk about active customers um, that's purchases during the last 12 months um, we're at just over 50,000 um, and we the majority of our customers are um, either doing it as a hobby or they're doing it running a small what I'd call kitchen table business kitchen top business um, we do have Another sector of customers that are what I call professional jurors who have actually got a business, have got their own website or even their own shop. But the vast majority are either in it for a hobby or doing it as a, as a, a part-time business. Yeah, which is um, is something for everyone to hold on to that thought as we get into the content social media strategy in, in a moment or two. Um, so I've got two more questions about where the business is right now before we dive into that, though. Um, sure. So do you have any key widgets, plugins, merchandising reviews, that kind of thing integrated with your website, any third-party software? Um, the thing that we... Well, we're using um, FIFO um, for customer survey feedback, and that's an external um, sort of market survey. Um, but it's mainly dealing with customer, if you like, feedback in terms of the service that we're providing. We have found that particularly useful, and we do respond to all the customer feedback that we get. We've also done independent surveys with our customers, 
And we've, I hate the word, but we've also got a focus group that we use um, just to test new products with occasionally, um, which um, we've found useful and we've found um, that it, it has, while it may not have completely changed our thinking on certain things, it has refined our thinking so that in terms of product ranges, we may have either extended the color range or we might have extended the size range or we might have even, if you like, um, bespoke certain products to include in a, in a new range that we're introducing. So uh, I think understanding what your customers are looking at, I think there is a tendency in business, clearly, for, for, for business, owners to think that they fully understand that you know that nobody knows their business and understands the business like they do um, and I th again I, I think that you know ignoring what your customers are looking for is is, is foolish um, it doesn't make sense because they're the ones who are going to spend the money with you so not getting their opinion on certain things it, it doesn't make sense to me and um, it's something that we we do try um, and do at all times. Um, it, in some respects, it's, it's giving us reassurance that we are on the right track. But it also, um, if you like, gives us um, a bit of sensible uh, feedback if we're not quite on the right track. I I think you're so right there because it's it's a very fine line to get right between understanding the market better than anyone else does and therefore being able to predict where the trends are going, but also listening to what your customers think they want and say they want. Yeah. Whilst also marrying that up with what your customers actually choose to do. And it's it's hard enough when you're selling the finished product. But of course, you're not even selling the finished product. You're selling the tools to create a finished product or, you know, the, the, the parts to create that finished product. So it's even more important to get those customers' points of view coming back because a simple tweak could open up a whole new product range for them, which is yeah, I mean, what it, they're it, looking for, isn't it? It is. I mean, it, we're only selling the components. And, you know, while we've, for instance, we, we are... Um, we work very, very closely with Swarovski. Um, they have a, a market sector that they call Swarovski Elements, which they are just producing the, the, the base ingredients, They're not producing finished jewellery. They, they are just producing the crystals, the bicones, the rondelles, etc. Now, then, they are very, very good at predicting, you know, the new colours for this year or the new colours for autumn, etc., etc. Um, now, then, we can... Fortunately, we, we do get a preview of what they, they've got coming on board. And, you know, they can say that amber is going to be the autumn colour. And all of a sudden you find that amber isn't the autumn colour or it's not <laughs> what your customers are looking for. Now, then yeah. you can invest heavily in that, in that product range and be completely off skew. I mean, generally, in, certainly as far as Swarovski is concerned, they are generally right, and, and don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. But there are other things that you can do um, or that you can think, well, are going to go really well, and they absolutely do not. There are other things that you're not sure about, and they absolutely fly. So, uh, and I think it is also that while we're not at the cutting edge in the fashion industry, we are very much having to pay attention to it and be aware of what is going on because it changes so quickly. 
So, you know, you can afford to have a small mistake, but you can't afford to have too many big mistakes. Otherwise, you're in serious trouble. Oh, completely. You've got to, well, personally, I think possibly one of the most fascinating areas of e-commerce and the one I understand the least. I'll put put my hand up and and say, well, I certainly couldn't do it. I get the theory, but (laughs) there's no way I could do it, is the whole buying and merchandising piece, because that, that to me is, it's a little bit like magic. So talking about the buying merchandising piece, what's, what sort of size is your team? Is it mainly in-house, outsourced? How many people have you got, got working there? Well, actually, in the business buying, we have got um, three people. Um, we've got two people who are involved in both what I call new product sourcing and replenishment. And then we've got, if you like, stock control, which is essentially replenishment of the basics. So we've got three people in-house, but we've got um, one person, well, we've got two two companies um, that we use particularly um, in Europe um, for what I call the more modern trends, the more European style, if you like, developments that, that are going on and and we use them as much as, as sounding boards um, for what's going on and what's likely to be happening in upcoming seasons um, so we work with them we, we have a, a range of suppliers both in Europe and in Asia um, that um, we use we tend to find that the European people are the people who are going to what I call are the more fashion uh, conscious and therefore um, are, are the people that we're, we're looking for new products from, whereas our um, Indian and Asian suppliers are for the more staple products. So the the volume the volume simplicity goes fully overseas, and the clever development and quick turnaround stuff happens in in Europe. Yeah, it is because Broadly. you know the. The, the lead times for for the for the Far Eastern stuff um, doesn't is not conducive to us being in the right place at the right time as far as the market is concerned. So we tend to use, and we've got some very you know we've built up some good relationships. We go visit them probably you know two or three times a year, just have a look at what's going on, and we are fortunate that um, we are of a size where we can have bespoke pieces made for us and we do that quite a lot now and that is a growing part of our business and it's something that helps us if you like differentiate ourselves from our competitors because we we do have uh, those inverted brackets unique pieces um, whether it's just a, a simple clasp or a pendant or something like that that will uh, that will make a piece that bit special and that, and that bit more individual Cool. So outside the world of uh, the buying and merchandising side of things, how big is the team in total at uh, Beads Direct? Um, well, in, to, in total, we employ 20 people, and that's more or less split between what I call operations, which is goods in quality checking and um, picking, packing, dispatch. Um, and we've, we've actually got um, 12 people in that area of the business and then in the office we've got um two well two and a half people on customer actually on customer service dealing with um, customer queries customer complaints customer orders um we've got three 
people in the marketing team and then we've got um, accounts department and purchasing department so we're we're a fairly sort of compact team um, and, and, and unfortunately everybody's hands-on in, in sort of most parts of the business <laughs> yeah it's um it's one of the things with a many businesses would be able to grow to your size with fewer people but because you've got those that wide product range with its low price points and the presumably a fairly lower than average average order value then you've, you've got to have more manpower to do that well than the volume gets to but then once you reach a certain point then as the volume increases in terms of sales and orders then you don't need as many people um so it's a it's it's re- I always find it really interesting to hear how the teams are structured within within businesses and where the manpower sits. So brilliant, John. Thank you very much for explaining where the business is right now and what what you're currently up to. So what do you think is the most awesome thing about Beads Direct right now? Um, difficult question, Chloe. I, I I think that it is the close relationship we have with our customers. I believe that in any business, the the most important and, and the, the, the only difference in any business are the people in the business. And when I say that, I don't just mean the people who are working here based in Loughborough. I, I don't, that's not what I mean about the people. I mean, our suppliers, we choose carefully we make sure that we've got good working relationships with them. The people in the business, we keep them informed of what's going on so that they're all involved and and they're all passionate about the business, which I think is important. But also our customers, because if we're not listening to them, then to me, there's part of the chain, there's a link in the chain that is broken. And I think that what we're doing all the time is making sure that we're a good conduit for our customers between the suppliers us because we're just a distribution business that that's what we are and i think that if we understand that our part is to make sure that we communicate effectively between what's available and how they can get it in the best condition at the best price etc etc so i think that what we have done um, and i think we've yeah, I, I, I don't say it lightly. I think we've done it reasonably successfully. Is we've made sure that we, you know, that we communicate everything um, that we possibly can effectively with our customers, and that we stay connected with them. Um, so, if there is anything, I think what we have done as well is um, that we've understood how people's habits buying habits are changing how they're receiving communication i mean we've embraced quite strongly social media yes i was Um, taking a look at um your site before this interview and um the numbers of followers you've got is quite strong (laughs) i think it would say if i just read out some stats here so on facebook you've got over thirty thousand followers Twitter yep. is over 10,000. Google Plus, over 220,000 views. 
Pinterest over 50 boards. And if anyone is looking at how they can get Pinterest to work for their business, take a look at what Beads Direct are doing. There will be a link in the show notes to that, which you can find at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash beads. Um, YouTube, over 25,000 subscribers. It's amazing. Well, I was just looking the other day, we're over two and a half million views on on our videos. Wow. (laughs) That's phenomenal because... I think for, that, for, I mean for a, for a small business in, in a in a very, in a tiny market sector, um, but you know, the, the, I mean even those numbers impress me. And, and I, <laughs> I am here sort of sitting at it. I'm thinking, how the hell did we achieve that? But, <laughs> um, but those, those are the you know, and the growing old. I mean those. Those numbers are slightly out of date. I mean, I know we're over 35,000 on Facebook now, so I need to update the website on that. (laughs) So, John, to get those numbers, and I know the engagement you get on those channels is huge as well. This isn't a, I mean, you know, we we all come across those businesses who've bought themselves 50,000 followers on Facebook, but no one ever interacts with their posts. And I know that your social media channels are all busy and they're all working for you. What are the, the key reasons you believe that social media works so well for you? Is it the content you put out there? Is it the response? You know, the, the types of things you're talking about, the quality of, the, of what you're giving them? Is it your your speed of reaction? What's What makes it work for you? I, I think it's a combination of all of those, Chloe. I, I, I think, first of all, uh, uh, and, and I think it is as important that anybody looking at us, I think that partly, if I just take Facebook as one example, I think that we are fortunate in our particular business, that um, there is a community spirit engendered amongst people who are all doing the same thing. So it is that thing that people gravitate towards people who either do the same things or like the same things. So we, we're fortunate that we can start with, with a lot of people who have got a similar interest and therefore you can, you know, providing that you supply them or, or provide stuff that they're likely to be interested in, they will get involved. But if I go back to Facebook, one thing that we were, I was very clear about right from the outset was that I needed to understand what Facebook was. And the one thing that I, whether I wasn't sure exactly what it was, the one thing I was sure it was not was going to be a sales channel. Yeah. We were very open. We allowed people right from... De- I mean, we launched... Um, Facebook from zero with a party, with an online party where people could win prizes, could get involved, could post things, could it, it was not going to be a sales challenge, it never has been it does drive business for us now um, and we can see that through Google Analytics but um, it was never We it couldn't be dictated to buyers we, we'll, in the early days and people said we were, I had you know, people that I spoke to said we were absolutely crazy because we were letting people put, for instance, um, photographs uh, of, of their designs on our Facebook page and saying that they'd bought um, some of the components from perhaps one of our competitors who hadn't bought it from us. <laughs> um, but we left it there. We we allowed that to happen so that they could take ownership. You know that. Facebook yeah. page wasn't our page, it was there, and they could take ownership of it. And I think that, that they could see that we weren't going to be 
um, that we, we weren't going to police. I mean, yes, we, we have taken certain things down that were not appropriate, um, but I think that that's just good governance and, and nothing to do with um, anything other than being sensible about what's <laughs> on your Facebook page. Yes. Um, but uh, we did allow, you know, we started it, it was fun, and we, we've tried to keep it that way ever since. So that, we, you know, we, we get the... We get the serious stuff on, and we get some of the not so serious stuff on as well. Um, and I think that people, you know, appreciate that, and therefore we continue to see it grow even today. Yeah, and I, and I think um, for for anyone thinking of going down the social media route, that's definitely a key top tip: is to define what you're using using it for, and it probably shouldn't be sales, and then to to use it in that way and create the content that goes behind it and as I said earlier I strongly recommend you to take a look at the Pinterest page and also at the YouTube to see the quality of the videos that are very much targeted at the audience John's been talking about the people making it as a hobby the people on the kitchen table they're looking for inspiration how they can use these beads and um and all the rest of it now uh, what I was going to say is that we're putting new new YouTube content up every single week I think that the other thing about, you know, small businesses, and sometimes they find it difficult. I mean, we've got, as I say, three people in our marketing. And, you know, we're putting new content up every single week. You need it. Whatever you do in a business, I think you need to be consistent. It's no good doing it and then not doing it or doing it um, erratically. Um, you know, people people need to have or need to know that you are you are reliable. That's how you build trust. And if they know that we're going to put something, you know, we, we put a, a new YouTube out every Sunday morning so that our customers, and we, you know, we send it to a lot of our customers via email so that they can see, you know, that there is something new, that it's, it's on trend, that it, it's relevant. Um, and, we, and we go across the whole spectrum of stuff that's, suitable for beginners new people who have perhaps only thought about doing jewelry not sure how to do it so we'll we'll attach a, a starter kit to it or we'll, we'll put something with it so that it can see them we'll hold their hand um, even though we are not sort of sitting next to them but we will hold our hand through it and then we'll put stuff out that is for for more advanced people um it, it, it is being consistent with what you do. And I think that whatever you decide to do in your business, then you, if you're going to do it once a year, once a month, once a week, once a day, whatever it is, do it. You know, because if once you stop, then they'll lose confidence in you. Yeah, you've, you've got to do that consistency in order to build the trust with people, don't you? Um, so, John, we've been we've talked quite a bit about about the social media side of things, and I'm I'm aware I'm I'm enjoying this interview, so I'm <laughs> letting it go on a bit. So I'm I'm going to get us back on track um, because I have to be vaguely consistent about the length of my episodes to keep my listeners happy too. So um, very quickly, okay. what's on your radar at the moment? What's on your to do list right now? Well, it, it is to embrace even further social media. I, I, I mean, we're, we're looking now at things um, as far as Facebook is concerned, but also as far as Pinterest is concerned, as far as YouTube is concerned, um, as far as Instagram is concerned. And while we appreciate that um, we can't be 
if you like, making maximum effort in all of them. We need to understand, and I go back to what we said right at the beginning, what are our customers using? I mean, I know that a lot of you know people, uh, for instance, are talking about Twitter. Um, Twitter doesn't particularly work for us because it, it doesn't have that visual aspect to it that our particular business does or that our business needs. So Facebook for us is, is going to be uh, something that we're going to look at how we can, if you like, redefine it or, or at least advance it over the next six months, um, probably with additional content um, and with with if you like more, even more customer involvement, if we can do that. Um, I'm not quite sure how, to be honest with you at the moment, but that's something that we are, if you like, going to put quite a bit of effort into over the next few months. Cool. And I, I think that's, that's um, if social media is important to your business, it can never come off the to-do list because there's always new ideas and new opportunities. So it's now time for the top tips round. And I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. John, are you ready for these quick fire top tips? Go on. Excellent. Um, so yeah. first up, your book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, what book would you recommend? I'd read The Growing Business Handbook by Adam Jolly. Cool. It's Not one I've come across. Good. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think that it, it covers all the aspects that anybody – I find that, if you like, there are lots of people – inverted brackets in small businesses who are really who are fabulous are really really excellent at what they do but they aren't always the best at running a small business running their business and that's where and i think that this book if you like helps you realize that you've got to do it's like everything you've got to do some of the things you actually don't like doing as well as the things that you do like doing so I think it's a great book. I think, I, think I, I, I pick it up and put it down regularly um, just to remind myself occasionally that I've got to do some of the things that I don't like doing as well as things. That <laughs> it's too easy to do the others, isn't it? It is, it is indeed. Uh, okay, so your traffic top tip. Which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? Email. I think that we have benefited from segmenting our email list um, down to what by using the information that we've got of what customers are buying, how regular they're buying one thing or another, that we've been able to, if you like, maximize the return that we get from email. You know, I, I hear a lot of people who are saying, well, I don't want to email too often or I don't want to do this. It's because they're sending one blanket email out to all their customers. Well, all our customers are not the same. And so I think that email is something that you need to spend some time working on. Um, you will not always get it right, but um, by, if you like, understanding what your customers are looking for, then you can connect with them it quick, quickly, effectively, um, and not too intrusively. Because if you know, if they're not in the buying mood today, or they're not looking for it today, they can quickly delete it, and then they'll read the next one that comes. So, email for me is a great, you know, is very, very important. Cool. And um, 
Next up then, the tool top tip. Maybe this is a team collaboration tool, a social media plugin, phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little widget you use that makes you, your team, more efficient day to day? One tool, no, but we, we do use Google Analytics. Um, because we're exclusively online, we, we don't have shops and one thing. Then Google Analytics is something that we pay a lot of attention to. We can, we can see, we, 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 we create our own dashboards within Google Analytics to, to look. We, we have a, 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 a one-page document for key performance indicators every week. And Google Analytics forms a large part of that one-page document that we can look at and see where our business, you know, what's driven the business and what in terms of where it's come from, how it's come, and what we're selling. So Google Analytics for me is is excellent, and it, it, it helps us understand what's going on in our business, making sure that our stock levels, you know, are right, that we're, if you like, on the right track and we can also see what's not working for us as well cool and um our startup top tip if you met someone this weekend who's thinking of starting an e-commerce business what would be your first tip for them understand the market that you are going into and do as much pre-launch research as you possibly can because unless you fully understand or at least have a real good understanding of what you're going into, then your chances of success, I think, are dramatically reduced. I think you need to make sure that you understand fully what that market is, what it's looking for. Um, Sometimes it is difficult, and I understand that, but nonetheless, I would really, really impress upon people that they understand as much as possible, not what they think they know, but what their customer is, is what their customer looks like. What does their what does their potential customer look like? Cool. That's another good one. I've just realized I said cool in a response to every single one of your top tips. So apologies to anyone who's listening who that's annoyed. Um, Master Plan World, <laughs> you can find these top tips and links to everything else we've been chatting about in today's episode by going to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash beads. John, I have one final top tips question. If your business didn't exist, which e-commerce business would you like to be running? Not on the high street. Aha, uh-huh, because? Because I think that I, I always, I don't know, there's a sense of passion about that business. I, I, I think that anybody in business, the, the thing that, they, that shines through to me from that business is that the people involved in that business are passionate about what they did. They obviously take a lot of care with the people that they work with, the suppliers that they've got. And and I think that passion in any business can overcome a multitude of sins. And, and I think that they've got passion abounding in that business. Excellent. That's, this is the first time we've had someone want to run the same business as someone else wanted to run. So Not on the High Street is our first um, double top tips winner, I guess. <laughs> so, really? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so, John, what a fascinating chat. It's been a pleasure to spend time with you today to discover how you're using social media amongst, and email primarily to drive your online-only e-commerce business. Before we say goodbye, would you like to remind listeners where they can find you and your business on the web and social media? 
Sure. It's at www.beadsdirect.co.uk. Excellent. And I will, I know there's a lot of social media, so I'll save you from having to read all that out and I'll put all of the links to that on the show notes page as well. Um, so we'll, John, we'll add links to that and everything else we talked about today in the show notes, uh, which are ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash beads, or just go to the website, click on the podcast tab or use the search box. John, thank you so much for being on the e-commerce master plan podcast today and for being so generous sharing your experience with us. Chloe, it's been an absolute pleasure and I hope that at least it's helped one person. If, if it's done that, then I think we've, we've, we've got a success. I couldn't agree with you more and I'm sure it's going to help far more than one. <laughs> okay, Brilliant. it's been great. It's been great and it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Excellent. Well, catch you all next week on our next podcast. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.